Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Healing the Nations podcast, your podcast for religious liberty and end time events. And I have a very special guest all the way across the Pacific Ocean in Seoul, South Korea. His name is Jaywa Shim. Jaywa, welcome to our podcast. It's an honor to have you. Hi, Peter. Thank you for having me. Now, Jaywa, what do you do in South Korea at this time? Um, I teach English in my living room with my wife, and I run my own English teaching business. I used to teach in Adventist school as an English teacher, but I run at my own home, and it's fantastic. I really enjoy it. Um, so that's my vocation, and also ministry because I get to interact with people in my own house setting, at, where I get to see people. And I meet their needs, and I listen to their stories, and and I help children in their formative years, and I also help adults um, listen to their stories, and I get to share my perspective on life. And I also very involved in ministry. Uh, it's called Cherim, which means Second Coming of Christ in Korean. And we focus on training lay people in becoming a Sabbath school teacher for all age groups. And also, we're excited about pairing people up so they can study the Word of God because I believe church needs more support uh, outside of the church on other days other than Saturdays. So that's what I do for vocation and for ministry. Oh, that's a great blessing, being an opportunity to minister to children, the future generation for society and the church. Now, we're in a situation right now with this COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, South Korea was the epicenter at one time. Can you share with me your experience of what's going on there and how uh, the people dealt with it in South Korea? Many people talk about this coronavirus situation from many different perspectives, and, and definitely I experienced something really dramatic. Uh, for me because I traveled to China to visit my wife's family around January 16th. I mean, I was traveling different mountains at the time. And by the time when we got to my wife's family's place around the end of January, I started hearing news about the coronavirus. And I began to see villages being shut down and we're not supposed to go out as often and we were checked at the airport and they were checking our temperatures. And by the time I came back to Korea, it became a different country and pretty much it became a different world. And I couldn't get to teach um, because I got just got back from China and people began to shun me. I, I had to tell everybody that I was uh, in China for two weeks and I had to uh, stop teaching for two weeks, and that was a huge paycheck cut uh, for myself. And so I think in that aspect, I think many people experienced last day events because, you know, as you see your own income just cutting in half or less than half, you get to see how much you're going to lose temporarily. So um, many people were experiencing financial loss and children were not going to school and most of, of my customers are children so they stopped coming and so many of my uh, students and and adult students also were experiencing very um, 
difficult times. So my church also uh, couldn't have worship physically. So um, I think financially, spiritually, people are experiencing some kind of threat in their life. But definitely, personally, I got to have a lot of time for devotion. And I got to really open my eyes to prophetic events. And actually, I started um, with different small groups. And it was really spiritually, really enriching because six new small groups got started, online Bible study small groups. So it was a huge blessing. Amen. It's an opportunity even through a crisis to really share Jesus because I'm sure people are more open now when things are not going to their favor and they want something beyond themselves. People make it sound like everything is just horrible, but I think when you open your eyes to spiritual things, I think it's definitely an opportunity also to reach out. Yes, indeed. Now, in South Korea, it's far different from the United States. So can you tell us what men have to do at a certain age in South Korea that's different from perhaps many nations around the world? South Korea and North Korea are still going through a war situation because we never actually ended the war. We were pretty much kind of like a taking a break from the war. <laughs> So a seven-year break. A, a seven-year break. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of like a funny situation where, where young people are not really buying into this notion of the word break, but they're just required to do it anyway. So everybody, every male, healthy male, is required to serve in the military service about two years. I'm not sure how long now, but that's about that's about it. So what is the age range that they have to go in? I think there is an age where you can actually start applying for the military service or where you are going to be notified as to when you can go. I think it's about the time when you graduate from high school. So probably 19 or 20 or something. And if you do, still don't go to the military service until 30, I think you will be in trouble. So I think you, you need to hurry up and go. Something like that. So in other words, men have to suspend two years of their lives, their studies, their goals, their aspirations, their careers to be in the military. Is that correct? Yes. So as a Seventh-day Adventist, does that pose challenges? Because conscientious objectors, in other words, many Seventh-day Adventists traditionally since in the United States, since the American Civil War, have elected not to bear arms and to... Um, go through other alternative services like being medics and the medical personnel and whatnot and so forth. So what challenges do 7th Avenue face in South Korea in the military? Military service itself was challenging because, I mean, it's, it's something that everybody has to go through. So I can't complain and say, oh, it's, everything is horrible and I'm wasting my time. It was the hypocrisy that I witnessed in my own church in terms of Sabbath-keeping especially in the in the context of last day events because when i was going into the military service i think i was in my early 20s i heard from my church members that i would be able to keep the sabbath very very safely and comfortably in the specific basic military training skill center which is in Dongsan Jungnam province in korea and when I actually got there, so this military base is the only military base at the time 
basic military uh, skill training center in Korea that had an Adventist church and a pastor assigned. So I didn't really expect any challenges in terms of keeping the Sabbath. And when I got there, I realized that no one was taking Friday night Sabbath seriously. And that really troubled me. And when I was trying to keep the Sabbath, I was called by my own church people as radical, crazy person that takes the Bible literally. <laughs> so it really dawned on me at the time that Seventh-day Adventist Church in Korea, culturally, traditionally, haven't been taking the Sabbath seriously. So did you get a sense of disappointment by realizing that? I was traumatized, actually, because I didn't grow up in the church as many years as my friends did because I went to Adventist High School, Adventist University. And Adventist High School was pretty much my first exposure to um, mainstream church people in Korea. And I mean, I also experienced some kind of disappointment when I was going to Adventist School too, because it wasn't something that I expected. But um, just the fact that I accepted Christ in a more dramatic way when my father passed away from cancer uh, in high school, and I got to read the Bible and spirit prophecy so intensely because I wanted to maintain that hope of second coming of Jesus. So to me, government and apostate Christianity coming together to persecute true followers of Jesus right before the, the second return of Christ, that crisis was so vividly portrayed as I was reading all those books. So I knew that the consequence of following Jesus in this context will be capital punishment. So I was taking everything literally. Jesus is coming soon. This is my hope. When Sunday law comes along, I'm going along with Jesus. And when they said, and I already knew somebody that was already in jail because of the same circumstance. He didn't really say, I'm not going to bear any arms, I think. I think he was just trying to keep the Sabbath, my church member. And I already saw that was going to happen to me. But I expected something different because that's what I heard in the specific military skill training center. But when I actually was getting serious and said, I'm, I'm going to do this, I saw the criticism just going out like a wildfire. And that pretty much included pretty much most people in my circle. And I was so blown away uh, by the apathy, by the Laodicean church condition right there. <laughs> but it was definitely a blessing because I got to really uh, be grounded in the word of God in a way I, I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. So you were standing alone. You didn't have emotional or social support. What sustained you through those lonely moments? I would say there was no social, emotional, spiritual support because there were very few people that were willing to stand by me. 
And those people that criticized me at the time later on pretty much apologetically said, you did the right thing. <laughs> Whether they're family or church leaders or my friends. But what really sustained me were the stories of those people that became prisoners for Jesus. So when those people that were in my immediate presence were failing me, those heroes of faith were not failing me because they were documented in the Bible and spirit prophecy and they were constantly speaking to me. So I wouldn't say God forsook me at that time, but his voice became a lot louder and clearer. So I experienced tremendous amount of peace. I experienced tremendous amount of healing. And my faith just ex exponentially grew. So I really appreciate that preparational time that God had in store for me. So you feel that when your dad passed away and you just studying the word of God and the spirit of prophecy, that was like the preparation for the crisis and the trial that God was leading you to so that you could witness for him. Is that correct? Yeah, and another uh, factor I need to emphasize is the fact that I was going to a church where a lay uh, person was uh, pretty much leading. So uh, I was going to a very special kind of church where that elder was, uh, was running a lifestyle center. And I saw a bunch of cancer patients, a bunch of people with physical, mental, relational uh, challenges were being healed by the word of God. So I got to hear their testimonies Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, sometimes when they have a program every week. So I already got to see the miracles that Jesus was doing even today. And so that really shaped my faith because I got to see the working of the Holy Spirit in my own church. So to me, Jesus was a living reality. So there was no way I would compromise after I saw that living reality. So I felt like I was seeing the risen Savior just changing people's lives every single week in my own church, in my, in my own church ministry. So I think that church made a huge impact uh, in helping me make that choice too. Hey Amen. It's the power of the medical missionary work along with uh, the gospel, the everlasting gospel that brings a lot of power. Now, exactly. Now you're in the military, and obviously Seventh-day Adventist is a minority religion, a minority religion almost everywhere around the world. Uh, the Sabbath is a foreign concept to many people of different faiths and especially in the military organization so what's the dilemma that you're faced with here in the military so you have to train go to the firing range around friday nights and even in sabbath hours so what was the conflict that was going on now when you hear the lie long enough by your own people by your own family by your own church by the people that you're supposed to look up to that it's okay to break the sabbath and I mean, you cannot possibly believe that words. You can break the Sabbath traditionally. You cannot see that as coming from the Word of God. You cannot see that as coming from Christ. So 
I was literally super confused when they constantly tried really hard to assure me you can go down the path as, as we have done for years and years and years. So for me, um, I had to um, make up my mind. Am I going to go by the word of God, which is where the spirit leads? People said, God can lead you this way and it's safer, it's more popular, it's more comfortable. You're going to ruin your life if you do this. So, um, so that was the challenge. Are you going to do something like everyone else? Or are you going to do something uh, that is right? But for me, something that um, was so real was the fact that I could not expect to see my father, uh, my physical father, if I compromise, because I'm making this entire Christianity a fable. And which, if I do that, <laughs> there is no second coming of Jesus in my life, and I, I won't be able to see my father. So to me, it sounded like, would you like to see your father? Would you like to materialize your faith? Or would you like to make this entire word of God a fairy tale and not see your father again? So to me, it was like a threat to my own personal hope. So obviously you had it both from within the church and then without from the secular officers and, and your fellow recruits in the training center. What was your experience with your commanding officers and, and your drill sergeants and your instructors when you did not want to participate during Sabbath hours in military activities? Okay, this is the thing. They said everybody else that I know to be 70 Adventists did not keep a Sabbath like you're saying. So they said, you're crazy. And your record of being a criminal will haunt you for the rest of your life. And even the lawyer that government assigned for me, who should defend me at the court, was trying to convince me to compromise. So they were just using all kinds of... Um, genuine concern as a worldly minded people, I guess. So to them, it didn't really make sense. So let's backtrack here. Did you first of all say to your commanding officer that you don't want to participate during Sabbath hours? Do you remember his reaction to it? Okay. So um, they believed that they would be able to um, convince me. So unless you approach them and say, hey, by the way, I can't do this because of this reason, things will just flow like a river. What, I'm, what I mean is military operates according to their schedule, according to their program. So everybody is just following this huge system. And unless you step up and, and gather up your courage and tell them what's going on, nobody is going to come out of their way and ask you, by the way, are you a 70 Adventist? Do you want me to help you? So you need to stop the flow and boldly say, this is what you want and this is what you need. So I had to approach them and stop them and say, 
I can't go along with it because this is what I believe according to the Bible. So how did your fellow recruits view you as, or how did they treat you when they saw you strongly standing up for the faith? Actually, um, many of the Adventist church leaders, not many, some, saw me as very rude, very uncooperative, very stubborn. I was pretty calm about it. I mean, I I wasn't in a situation where I could be angry. You know what I mean? I was representing Jesus. Apparently, I wasn't doing this for the show. I was doing, doing this for God. So I knew that I was in a spot where everything I do will be a representative of the gospel that I was professing to believe. So I was just telling them very, very calmly about the possibility. I asked them, is there a way for you to help me? Can you make a way out for me? For example, I can do the things that I couldn't do, I can't do on Saturday, on Sundays. Can you give me all the dirty work? Can you uh, accommodate uh, to my religious belief and make a different schedule for me? And they said, if I do that for you, I have to do it for everyone else. And that is such a hassle. And if I do that, other um, like, superiors or your trainers or your those people should be working on Sunday just for you and they pretty much made it sound like I was very very self so this led to you being court-martialed and you were placed on trial what was the outcome of that case I think what really helped me was the fact that my fellow Adventist uh, soldier was already uh in the prison before I went to the military service. I was in his trial case. I listened to the whole whole thing. So I knew that um, unless I compromise, they were not going to compromise their own rules. Uh, let me backtrack here. So you were convicted and you were sentenced to prison. Is that correct? Yes, yes. How long were you sentenced to prison for? It was one year and six months, but actually wanted to share the story about what the judge asked me uh, in the middle of the case. He asked me, why did you do that? And he said, um, I'm a Christian. And he said, is what you're doing in the Bible? And I said, yeah, it's in the Bible. It's in the Ten Commandments. And he sounded like a Christian because he sounded shocked. And he said, it's in the Ten Commandments? And he said, because you're an English major, please quote that part in English. So I did in English. So um, I got to witness uh, to, the, to the judge and to um, different people. So um, they uh, gave me a one year and six month sentence in that case. So if you have a criminal record in South Korea, how does that impact a person? I worked for an Adventist school, so it didn't really affect me, practically speaking. But I think, um, for example, my fellow uh, uh, convicts, my fellow prisoners, did not want to see me after I got out. 
apparently because they didn't want to be associated with being a prisoner. So um, I didn't really experience discrimination in the work setting, but um, something that's really funny is even in even is even in an Adventist school setting where a majority of the students are non-Adventists, your school and your church in the in the school will not feel proud of the fact that you went to prison to keep the Sabbath because to them and to most people in school, that's something that you should be ashamed about. People wouldn't say see that see that as something positive so whether you are working for the church or whether you are not a christian it's something that people would be afraid of sharing and i don't really share this with everybody because they can see that as um a threat um in many different ways now you mentioned that there was another seventh Adventist in prison that helped you in supporting you in your decision can you share more about yeah, that yeah so he, he was a theology student. He is not, I don't think he's a minister now. I'm not sure, uh, too sure yet. But he received a certain sentence. But he, uh, I don't know the term, he complained to the higher court and said, um, this is not fair. So, um, but they rejected his um, complaint and said, just keep serving in the prison. So um, just seeing his example of keeping the Sabbath without, without a compromise pretty much made me feel very comfortable <laughs> in knowing that it's okay to be punished. <laughs> so I think it helped me uh, feel um, bold in making that decision. Now, what was your first reaction when you set foot inside the prison? First of all, okay, there were four phases. So first phase was the jail about more than a week where they put me because they wanted to um, put me in jail before the uh, court, the military court, before the case was made so that they can make me change my mind. So when I first went into the jail, the ceiling was very high <laughs> and I was wondering why the ceiling was very high. And I was thinking, oh, they don't want me to commit a suicide. And they followed me everywhere. Whether you go to the bathroom, whatever you do, you're being watched all day. So um, that was really shocking to me, the fact that I was being watched all day. And the fact that I got nothing else to do other than reading the Bible all day. So... It was challenging, but it was sweet at the same time because of that reason. So that was my first exposure to the jail in the military setting. Before you are actually sent to the prison in the military, because I did go to the military prison before I was sent to the civil prison. So when I went to the military prison, um, when I first uh, entered the prison, I was so scared. Can you imagine? You're you're actually going to a military prison, and this is not a jail. This is a prison. And when I when I stepped into the prison, people were looking at you 
from both sides and you're walking into the hallway, your guard is uh, taking you and people are looking at you behind the bars and they're looking at you. And I, I still cannot forget that very moment where people were looking at you and people are locked behind the bars. And somebody was like screaming at the top of their lungs. Literally, somebody was just like screaming like a crazy person, like a demon possessed person. Later on, I found out that he went to a, like a theology school and he was preaching like hell is coming, repent. <laughs> so when I first entered the military uh, prison, I was so afraid that I was actually going into a jungle. A bunch of dangerous people would just harass me and, and just give me a hard time. And I was very, very scared. That was my first feeling when I, when I actually entered the military prison. And the third phase uh, was the actual civil prison that where I was uh, staying for about a year. So 40 days, I was in jail. So 10 days, I was uh, temporarily punished for what I was doing. 40 days, I was uh, locked up uh, to go through the military case. And for one month, I was in the military prison for about one month. And about a year, I was in civil prison. And how old were you when this was going on? So it was 2006. So uh, how many years ago is that? 14 years ago so 22 23 or something 22 so it's natural to be scared i mean anyone in that situation <laughs> will have fear so yeah I, was... <laughs> I mean you can act tough but everyone that goes to that situation will have fear how did you manage yeah, your yeah, fear was... you know what it was super funny when I actually got in there, I realized my fear was ungrounded. Um, I think um, somebody I look up to spiritually also had been to prison and he said everything he saw on TV wasn't true. Not everybody is crazy. That's something I also experienced. So uh, after experiencing what I have experienced, it wasn't too bad. So, because I already experienced military service, so I would say um, it was pretty much normal other than the fact that you were wearing a prisoner uniform. So, to me, they weren't extra evil. They were just like everyone else. That's, that's something I want to tell everybody that have never experienced prison. I know there are worse prisons out there, but at least the ones that I experienced weren't too bad so the first fear was something that uh came from my exposure to media but when once once i actually got got in there it wasn't too bad but something that did uh, make me i feel isolated was the fact that there was no seventy evidence christian or church there So how did you sustain yourself spiritually without a spiritual community? Actually, that was something that was fantastically amazing because people ask you why you're there. And I mean, they usually don't talk about why they are there with so much excitement. They're there because they murder somebody, they cheated somebody, they 
they robbed somebody, they, they sexually offended somebody. So they're not going to like start talking about their crime. But um, I am innocent. They know I'm innocent. And I look innocent to them because, I mean, you can tell somebody's face if you're innocent. You, they, they can tell, they can tell, and you can tell. So, um, like, the very first question they ask you is pretty much, um, what is a Sabbath? Because they ask you, why are you here? And you say, I want to keep the Sabbath. And they say, what is that? And you say, it's in the Bible. God created the world for seven days, and he wanted the whole world to remember his creative power is his love for us. So he wants a day of worship, a day of rest, a day where you can spend time with your family, with your neighbors, uh, looking at creation, helping people, day of service. So you get to share all, all these things uh, pretty much with most people that ask you that question. So to me, it, it literally solidified my faith. Can you share any testimonies that happened during your time? in prison sure um so i was delivery boy and i felt like joseph you know joseph he was favored by his own father he didn't pretty much know how to do anything practically and he was very awkward in doing uh, anything according to spirit prophecy and um, he was um, determined to honor God uh, no matter what would happen in a foreign land as a slave. So, I mean, in the military, in the prison, you're supposed to clean, you're supposed to um, mob, you're supposed to deliver things. So, so as a delivery boy, so even in prison, you... As a prisoner, you order different things. You order socks, you order um, peanuts, you order snacks, uh, different things that you need extra. So there's a store even in prison and there's a storage area where you have different supplies. And my job was to carry uh, different things to different buildings because my prison was huge. So uh, I had to stack up a bunch of things that includes like screws and, and I have to pack everything in the boxes and you stack up uh, all the way up way uh, higher than your height. And it, that requires a lot of physical strength and a lot of cooperation, work ethic and maintaining good relationship with your uh, cellmates and your coworkers, your uh, guards, so um, it was extremely demanding for me because all I knew how to do was to sit and just study. And you know, as a Korean kid, that's all you do. You go to school after, and you go to after school, you study, you go to bed, you play soccer and you play, and you study. That's all I knew how to do and, and play, play computer games. But when you're thrown out in a real world, you have to work and, and unless you do a good job, they will they will criticize you so harshly. And it was very difficult for me to go through that. But it definitely uh, helped me grow in many different areas. So um, I was ext extremely um, struggling in doing a good job uh, professionally, in, even in the prison. 
and um my fellow prisoners um got annoyed at my um poor skill in 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 pretty, in pretty much um uh, doing different things so i was treated harshly because of that it wasn't because i was lazy but i think it was just because i was uh so spoiled at home and so i didn't really know how to do anything so to me just doing a good job in the work setting itself was challenging and um just the fact that you're keeping the sabbath doesn't make you righteous and when people are constantly um criticize you uh, human response is you want to hate them back and there uh, was specifically one um guy that really hated me and he uh, said i can literally see your eyes hating me i mean he knows i'm a christian and he's not a christian so I, it was kind of ridiculous for me to hear that you're expecting me to love you when you're shooting like a trash but the fact that he saw hatred in my eyes instead of love which i'm supposed to portray uh really dawned on me so uh from that point on i began to uh cry out to god for love and that made things a lot easier when god's love which i desperately sought and finally he gave um which made things a lot easier for me to handle so when i was able to truly love them i was really able to enjoy my um time with them so i think um uh, that was one and there was another guy that um was interested in the bible and he was very uh, inspired by me praying reading the bible and he said um i would like to read the bible when i go out um and he got released and i think he bought his own bible by the time he got out and he began to study i think he studied law he wanted to be a lawyer or something so there was another one and another thing was there was a time when um i was working for the hospital so in the hospital setting uh so because there's a hospital in the prison too so i was i was dealing with all the different medicines like pills and different things i was like a nurse's assistant so i got to handle different medical supplies and oh uh, something that was pretty uh crazy was the fact that prisoners uh were prescribing medicines and let me explain how that happened so most prisoners had the same symptoms and when they ask for specific medicine or when they say this is how they're sick doctors already know what they're supposed to give and so many prisoners come for prescription and there's only one or two doctors and sometimes they don't even come because they're busy or something so and when nurses are busy and when the guards are too busy prisoners uh customarily just um uh, 
do the repeat of the same prescription that only doctors were supposed to do. And that was something that traditionally was done, which was, which is pretty much illegal. I mean, how can you do that? So, but uh, one day, um, one prisoner came and said, how come, and he was yelling, how come I don't get the pills? I asked for the medicine. And everybody freaked out and he was making so much trouble. And it was because of me, because I forgot to give his um, a record, the his chart to the doctor, and I stuck it in the bookshelf or something, and which I was negligent. I forgot to do it. And the guard asked me, hey, what happened? And I said, oh, I gave it to the guard. I gave it to the doctor, and, and doctor uh, prescribed it. But actually, I fabricated um, the prescription on my own a few hours later to to cover up what I did. And so I already lied. And the prison began to investigate as to why this happened. And I was um, locked into another room in the even in the prison because According to them, this is something worthy of investigation. So I lied the whole time and said, I gave it to the guard and I didn't do it. So at that time, I, I had the lowest point of my <laughs> spiritual life in prison. So I went to the prison to keep the Sabbath. But here I am lying, covering up, fabricating, lying the whole time. And I confessed to be innocent throughout the whole time and actually I was lying the whole time and I came out innocent and because of this um I think one guard really like felt guilty because he thought I was innocent and pretty much it really exposed a corrupt system of the prison so it wasn't just me doing something wrong it was the entire system that was going to that practice itself so pretty much, um, he, I think he rejoined. He he just stopped working for the prison. So it was something big. And after that, I just, I felt so guilty, man. What am I doing? And a few days later, or the next week or something, my next door prisoner asked me to uh, teach them the Bible. And I was so blown away. I just committed the great sin in. Uh, in the prison and God was pretty much telling me to step up and and preach the gospel and at that time I experienced the forgiveness of God that I've never experienced before because you know you're trying to keep the Sabbath you're the hero you're always doing the right things you're not wrong you're always right but here I really experienced how much God had to step down and really help me heal me Heal my brokenness and hypocrisy. So after that, I began to teach the Bible until I got out of, out of the prison. So I gave them a Bible study every week. So um, at the point of utter brokenness, utter humility, utter repentance, God was able to utilize me because um, I was willing to let him lift it up, not my self-righteousness. So you had an Abraham experience where Abraham failed in his faith, but God still 
led him to be a father of many nations. And sometimes God leads us to failure in order to recognize our great need for him so that he can show us his love and his redemptive love towards us. Is that correct? Exactly. It's, God doesn't save us based on what we do. He saves us because of who he is and what he has done. So <laughs> exactly. Abraham's experience. <laughs> now, you said that you cried out to God to receive the love for your fellow prisoners that were ridiculing you and giving you a hard time. How long was that process? Yeah. And how did you pray? And when did you know that you had that love in you? Um, I think it didn't happen um, just in one incident or just a few months. I think it, was, it periodically happened in many different uh, situations because I was in many different rooms. Like I think I was put in like seven or eight different rooms because you keep being bounced off from one work to another work and there is a time when you don't work. So people have a tendency to be judgmental. So even if you don't say I'm judging you, you're subconsciously judging them. And when you are putting yourself above them, it's impossible for you to love them with the love of God. So this secret hatred or contempt, uh, Pharisaic attitude has been going on during my entire time of um, serving in the prison. So... Um, but when I did know when hatred left me was he, um, when I saw some evidence of his, his change toward me, for example, that the, the guy that said, uh, I can see the hatred in your eyes. He went by the time he was being released because he got out before me, he gave me his presence. I, I forgot what it was, but he was smiling at me and he was um, apologizing to me. And I just knew that he liked me. And I mean, <laughs> I liked him too. So I think when I realized I like him, I love him, and my attitude toward him is not pure hatred anymore that was something that is possible when you are saturated with the stories in the bible and martyrs because i specifically read the record of prisoners because i wanted to be comforted by the same uh, minded people in the in the in the history so when i am so inspired by how positive and how excited they were even in the prison that was when i was able to become loving to so i would say how much i was enthusiastic about the stories i was reading that just changed my demeanor and from that transformation my reaching out to other people began and that was something going on and off and that was something that deepened sometimes i fail sometimes i uh, was was successful but that was something coming in contact with my creator made possible so pretty much satan put me in prison to punish me for something i did innocently but god had a greater purpose so pretty much as joseph said to his brothers you think you sent me 
God sent me for a greater purpose. And he said that to his brothers. So I think it was like a, <laughs> like a big circle experience. So you were in prison for one year and six months. Actually, um, I got out four months earlier because uh, when you behave well, you get early um, release. So uh, it's very interesting. At the time, soldiers would serve two years. I only served one year and four months. But I didn't go to prison to got out earlier, but that's what ended up happening. But about the release, the day of release, I was just so blown away. Like the top, because I didn't walk out of the prison, they um, carried me in the bus. Uh, they transported me in the bus. And but when I got out of the gate, man, the freedom, the freedom, <laughs> nobody's watching me. Nobody is locking me up. Nobody's going to follow me. That, that sense of like freedom, man, that was something that I wanted the whole time. I, and I wanted to get out every single day. And I was looking through the bars. Man, what is it like to be free? What is it like to be free? So people have no idea that are outside of prison. People have no idea how much freedom and how much joy they already have. So I think for those people that feel locked up uh, in their houses right now because of the coronavirus, they need to celebrate this time of being like a prisoner because it was a time of preparation and training but anyway so when i got out um i saw the blue sky and i never knew the sky was that blue you know what i mean so uh, i i began to appreciate life more what was the first thing you did once you left prison it's a tradition i don't know if you know um they feed you with tofu <laughs> because i i don't know why why they feed you tofu maybe it's because it's clean and i don't know start a new life I went to the tofu place with my church members and I ate tofu dish and um, I was well received by my church members. Those people that did not criticize me for my decision. So um, I was very encouraged to know that um, there was a group of people that were supporting me all along. So, there were two two different groups. The one group said, you're being too literal. Another group that said, you're doing the right thing. So, um, so I was able to really appreciate those people that um, stood by me on my side. How did your mom feel about this whole ordeal? Actually, uh, you know what? My mom was one of the opposers surprisingly she said because a whole bunch of people were pressuring her to pressure me to change my mind oh he's gonna ruin my life and anyway so like, people were saying stuff like that to her so uh, mom said hey you don't have to keep the sap so that was devastating because your own mom is saying stuff like that to you so well um she was visiting me like I think like every week and how she lived because she was a widow and my brother was going to school or something he was in the military service or something so she was also all alone <laughs> so she was uh reading the bible all day like I was doing 
I mean, I was I was working nine to five even in prison. But when I wasn't working on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, uh, she was doing that too. So both my mom and I were pretty much growing in the Word of God. So um, my mom was really to compromise, and she did say you don't have to keep it. But later on, she said, um, "I'm proud of you." So I think she also grew. I think we all grew. Out of that experience, and now you're an English teacher. You are trusted in the community, in the Seventh Avenue Church. There have been articles that were written about your experiences, including the uh, Worldwide Avenue Church magazine. I think the Avenue Review published an article about your experiences, and so Avenue World, Avenue yeah. World. That's right. And so, yeah, what the painful experience you went through is now a blessing and a testimony of what God has done for you. Exactly. So Satan can crucify Jesus, but when Jesus comes out from the prison of death, people were blown away. So God can lock you up spiritually. God can still talk to you. It was a blessing. I can say that it was a blessing. And and I really literally appreciate what God allowed me to go through. Um, the fact that my father passed away, the fact that I experienced that um, trauma in the prison. Um, because I crave for the word of God every moment because every moment I sense the absence of my father. I sense the brokenness of my own soul. I sense the hypocrisy of this world, how bankrupt this whole world is. So. I became a different person through that ordeal. And I'm fed up with the entertainments of the world. And my taste for spiritual things haven't developed because of that experience. I really praise God for that because the word of God and his work is what entertained me. Literally. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, brother, for being part of our podcast and sharing your testimony and your struggles with such transparency and vulnerability and uh, sharing with God's people that in crisis and in trial and when we're tested of our faith and our religious liberties at stake, that even though we may go through painful experiences, God is there to lead us through, even in the midst of our failures. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Amen. So before we end, can you pray for us a closing prayer? Sure. Father God, the whole world is anticipating a testimony, a testimony of faith, a testimony of hope, a testimony of healing. And we know we can't do that deceptively. We can only do that from the heart, from the actual life choices that we make for the world to witness. And let the world witness love in our church. Let the world see mercy in our family. And let the Satan say, as he witnessed what I'm going on in our church, wow, I can't infiltrate these people because they're saturated with 
the truth and love for one another that I cannot deceive them. Help us be excited about your word so the world can be excited about what we are excited about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.